This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and here joining me this evening is special guest Graham Barfield of Fantasy Points. Graham, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I think this is year four or five that we've been able to do this post-draft. Uh, really excited to have you back here tonight. Yeah, man. I was thinking about that uh, this morning. I think this is year four, year five. It's good to see you, man. Good to catch up with you again. And uh, yeah, always always enjoy talking rookies with you and rookie backs in particular. This is a, it's a fun time, man. Uh, middle of July, got some open golf on. Uh, it's, it's a good morning over here. Yeah, absolutely. And here at Saturday, Sunday... As I've been saying almost every podcast, we don't really turn the page to the next wave of guys till about August. So we really post draft, you know, kind of try to cover every single angle from a fantasy perspective, dynasty perspective, just regular NFL fit and opportunity and scheme fit. So we have been continuing to bring on some great guests from the industry. Uh, recently I had on, you know, your uh, cohort over there, Joe Dolan as well, Matt Williamson, Mike Clay. So we continue to bring on so many greats from the industry. So really excited to have you. Uh, let's get right into it because as you talked about, I think this running back class is a little unique because I feel like it's a little top heavy and then there's really about pick your flavor. Some people are higher on this guy, others, this person. I, I think it was overall a pretty down running back class, all things considered, but maybe you have a different perspective on it. Uh, but let's start at the top. Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker. You know, I know you put them through your metrics and your evaluation. Did you guys, did you have these guys close pre-draft? And then after we knew draft capital and landing spot, did that really separate them at all post-draft? Right. So I'm with you. I, I think this is in general uh, a pretty weak rookie running back class. And I think we all kind of saw it even looking back like in January, February uh, this year. Um, I did have Walker and Hall really close pre-draft. I had Walker at one. I had Hall at two. I swapped them after the draft. I, I thought it was really close. You know, anybody that had Brees Hall at RB1, I mean, it makes sense. He had, you know, obviously the long-term production, early breakout, um, extremely athletic, extremely involved in the passing game, pretty much everything, like every box that you want to tick, uh, Hall hits. I just think Kenneth Walker is a better pure runner. He he came out as such in my yards created process. His uh, Kenneth Walker's yards created per attempt was in the 91st percentile all time. Uh, he led this class in missed tackles sports per attempt. There's just like a wizardry that he plays with at the running back position, just has incredible footwork. But yeah, I, you know, I think, you know, the landing spots obviously are, are pretty different um, in terms of short and long-term. I think if, you know, if, Z- if Zach Wilson takes a big step forward this year, which, uh, which he certainly could, Brees Hall is, is going to be set up better for, for this year and for the next couple years uh, as the Seahawks try to figure out their quarterback situation. But I'm still in on Walker as a player. He's starting to slide, Paul. I mean, I don't know if you've done many underdog drafts this uh, this summer, but Ken Walker, man, he he was like an eighth, seventh, eighth round pick back in May. He's starting to slide into like, you know, 101, 105, 110 range in like the ninth, 10th round. I'm buying the dip on Kenny Walker uh, at those prices. Um, you know, Seahawks offense won't be anything special. We're not super excited about Drew Locke by any means, um, but Kenny Walker is a special player, and I think he's going to take over this backfield by the end of the season. Yeah, and what's really interesting about those two is 
I know these guys train for the combine now and they are, they are regimented and prepared for it better than ever. But it's like both of these guys tested out much better in terms of their 40 time and, and some of their other metrics a lot more than I think we thought. I don't think many people thought these guys were, you know, sub four, four. I think most people thought maybe if they even ran a four five, they would have been content with that in terms of, you know, what people were thinking leading in. And then we started to, you know, get, a little bit of wind prior to the combine. These guys were going to run a little bit faster than I think people thought. And I'm right there with you. I, did, I do think Kenneth Walker natural running instincts and, and run, run skills was a little bit better on film than Brees Hall, but I like the landing spot a little bit better. Do you think that dip you were talking about, obviously for redress and underdog, do you think that dip is more worried about Rashad Penny's finish to last year or more concerned about the Seattle offense slash quarterback situation? Or you think it's like a pretty mix maybe of both right down the middle? Yeah, I think it's a mix. Um, Hall will, the one thing we know, Paul is Hall is going to be involved in the passing game like early. Uh, we, we know that for sure. I, we can't say the same for Kenneth Walker. And for that reason, it does give him a little higher floor. Uh, Hall get, it gives Hall a higher floor and a higher ceiling out of the gates, but yeah, man. I mean, Kenny Kenny Walker reminded me of like a skinnier Joe Mixon coming out, like the way he wins in terms of, uh, you know, missed tackles, forced by power, elusiveness, speed. He's got it all. And like you said, I, I was, you know, I knew I knew Walker would probably run pretty well, but I, I'm with you. I, I think he tested much better than I expected as well. And the big knock on him is, as we talked about, like, we know Hall's going to be involved in the past game. Walker, it's an unknown, right? And here it's Saturday, Sunday, you know, as we're probably going on year six or so now or seven. Uh, we've we've quickly over the years said we got to be very careful about saying the guy can't do something just because right. they weren't asked to do something. And I right. feel like that's something that still is kind of out there in the scouting, you know, in the draft Twitter community where like, yeah, Walker wasn't asked to do it, but that doesn't mean he can't be a functional, you know, pass catching back. He's, he's never going to be a guy who's Christian McCaffrey or, or Saquon Barkley, but he could easily be a functional guy that eventually is a 35, 40 catch guy, not a 15 to 20 catch guy in the NFL. And that obviously makes a big difference for fantasy. You know, so I think it's to be determined on how much he can be used in the past game. Uh, I know we're really focusing in on running backs tonight, but as you did rookie draft, or if you have any kind of lingering, I know some people always have some lingering late in the summer. A lot of them obviously are done by now. Would you have been comfortable taking Paul Walker before all of the wide receivers, especially yeah. with the uncertainty at the top? Yeah, this was an interesting year for rookie drafts, man. I have a couple left myself. Um, yeah, I had I had Hall at one, and then a couple of the receivers. I think you can. I mean, London for me was was the top of the receiver tier, but I think you can make an argument for three or four guys there, um, and then Walker in like the three to six range. If you're playing super flex, obviously this year, <laughs> I'm so, I'm sorry if you were taking quarterbacks <laughs> early, man. This is a brutal year. Um, I, I got a quick question for you. You follow college football a lot closer than I do. I'm actually, I'm pretty much just a casual college fan during the season, during the NFL year. Michigan state doesn't really throw to their backs at all. Do they like just in general? No, they, it's not. It's definitely not a core part of their offense. Like right. you see in, in other schemes. And that goes back to say like, so it's just like, it's such an unknown about Kenneth Walker, you know, listen, 
Derrick Henry was on pace last year to have his best, you know, pass catching year. Leonard Fournette once upon a time couldn't catch the ball either. And then we saw what he could do with Tom Brady. So I think there's a scenario where Kenneth Walker can be fine as a pass catching, as a guy who can play on third downs and catch the ball. Again, he's not going to be ever an upper echelon pass catching running back. He's not James Cook or Rashad White, but that doesn't mean like he's going to be penciled in as only a two down runner. Like we're going to get to a lot of those guys who I think are probably going to fit that role as part of committees from this class, but I'm not sure Kent Walker really is just a better version of them. I think there could be more than, than we saw on film because the limited amount that we saw, it didn't seem like he couldn't do it if he, you know, if if he was called upon to do that. So I think that's really something, you know, that, that some people are a little bit more concerned about and maybe, you know, they, it shouldn't be just yet because it'll be to be determined. And we know Seattle likes to have one guy and maybe this year Penny's in the mix, but you know, by year two, I think it's going to be Walker as the lead there, whatever that means in the NFL now, whether it's 70% or 80% or 65%, he's going to be, I think the guy who's playing, you know, a, a high percentage of those snaps before we move on to the next wave of guys, Michael Carter, do you think he just gets kind of pushed to the back burner? Or do you yeah. think, because Brees Hall's a three-down type of running back, or do you think, you know, that San Francisco scheme that they're kind of running with the Jets in terms of the offense and the coordinator coming from San Fran, do you think there's a way that Michael Carter maintains some fantasy value, or do you think he just kind of becomes a handcuff down the line for Brees Hall? I think at the end of the day he's going to become a handcuff, but I could see a scenario, especially early in the year, where this is like a 65-35 split and we're wanting Hall to be a true bell cow, but he's just not yet. Uh, for what it's worth, I'm drafting Michael Carter a ton in underdog drafts and best ball drafts is, a, is one of the highest upside uh, handcuffs that you can find because, I mean, in his starts last year, I mean, Carter was great for fantasy. I averaged 18.5 fantasy points per game the three games. He started and had over 55% of the snaps. So I, I think Carter still is a valuable fantasy asset. But, you know, obviously you're not going to feel comfortable starting him uh, with Hall there now. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still holding the candle for Carter as a, as a really strong handcuff. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. And you're probably right. I think to start this year, it'll be a little bit more split. And then we'll see if Hall, you know, continues to just, you know, kind of eat into that as we go on. Uh, let's I'll, I'll group these two together and you can kind of go through them. You know, for me, pre-draft, I had James Cook as my third running back. Uh, that was not really the consensus that was out there. Yeah. Here Saturday, Sunday, we have been big fans of him. We've compared his usage in college to what Alvin Kamara's usage was in Tennessee. We think that's his potential ceiling slash upside uh, and not just pass catching running back. Where do you kind of stand on, on James Cook when you put him for your, your, your evaluation? And are you buying that? He could be more than a pass catching running back and maybe evolve into a guy who could touch the ball 14, 15 times, you know, with a bunch of receptions and then also eight to 10 carries maybe. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you're on cook too. I had him at RB four. Uh, we, I, I, I'll tell you, we'll get to my RB three, but uh, I had cook RB four pre-draft. He stayed there uh, post-draft. My one concern, man, is he just skinny. He's really skinny, like really, really light in the pants. Um, just, you know, his brother obviously is one of the best zone runners of all time. But if you look at Dalvin, I mean, Dalvin is thick. James Cook's built like a sprinter. That being said, I mean, Cook is one of, you know, one of the true mismatch weapons in this draft class. Um, <clears throat> he ran receiver routes, as you know, Paul, and got separation on them too. Uh, I had him charted, uh, I charted him with 
uh, 20% of his routes lined up out wide or in the slot. Like that's up there with like the Christian McCaffrey's and Alvin Kamara's of the world when they came out too. Um, obviously an awesome athlete, obviously a home run hitter, explosive as hell. But my one concern, man, is he's just, he's really skinny. And I think he's, he's probably for that reason, always going to be a, a part of the committee backfield. But that being said, I mean, this is a, you know, we, we want pieces of this bill's passing attack and for redraft this year. I mean, cook has stayed cheap. Uh, I, I'm targeting him more in PPR specifically, cause I don't think he has enough upside and half PPR, uh, unless Devin Singletary were to get hurt. But even then, if Singletary were to get hurt, I think we're going to see Zach Moss and uh, some other guys on early downs. But, yeah, I'm in on James Cook. I, I just question – I don't know if he has the the you know the, the weight and the BMI to be an every-down player like Alvin Kamara was. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's a good point. And, and, and you know, I feel like that kind of – Kamara's role kind of morphed, right, over his yeah. early career in New Orleans, right? It started out as like that 8 to 10, 10 to 12, and then obviously recently it's been a lot more touches where they've leaned on him a lot more. So it'll be interesting to kind of see the path that Cook takes. You mentioned you had somebody at RB3. Who was it? Is he still at RB3? Before yeah. I kind of uh, bring up anybody else. Yeah, it's Damian Pierce. Okay. Uh, yeah. Where did, where did you guys have him pre-draft? I had him, I think, sixth or seventh okay. pre-draft. I got him five now. Yeah, okay. yeah. Six or seven was still above consensus, uh, especially near the end. But, yeah, I want to get your opinion on what Florida did last year. I still can't make sense of it. <laughs> Damian Pierce was one of the most, like, efficient backs in a very small sample that we've seen in recent years. He, he was fourth in this class in yards created per attempt, second missed tackles force. But man, when he got snaps, like he made them count. Um, it was one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. Like he would rip off like a 15 yard run where he'd like run through two dudes, juke somebody and like, you know, power through a linebacker to pick up a couple extra yards. And then we wouldn't see him again for like another quarter. I couldn't really make sense of it, but I think there's some shades of cream hunt to Damien Pierce's game and the way that they went in terms of contact balance, in terms of power. They're also built very similarly. Uh, Kareem Hunt and Damian Pierce, both 5'10", 216, 220, both ran like four six forties. Uh, both have very similar burst inside of like three to five yards. I think Pierce is a really exciting player, and he went to a really exciting spot there in Houston. But Paul, I mean, we have just a laundry list of running backs that have very small sample, high efficiency, but no volume, and that did not work out in the NFL. Um, like, what what was what was going on in Florida last year? Why didn't Pierce ever really truly break out? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the great unknown. And I, I don't remember what really great draft analyst it was. I, so I don't want to put anybody's name out there. But it was it was a really recognizable draft analyst. And he he said something along the lines, I, I, again, I can't remember who it was, that was like, what Florida did was like a fireable offense almost in terms of the <laughs> lack of usage in terms of Damian Pierce. Because when he got the touches, he was highly productive. Their offense wasn't this juggernaut. Like you could say Georgia should have used James Cook more, but it didn't really matter because they were just so loaded at the position. It wasn't like whoever Florida put back there was just rocking out seven, eight yards of carry. So it didn't matter. Pierce was was clearly their most productive back, you know, in the toughest, you know, conference in America. And it was like, why were they not leaning on him more? 
and it opens up is is there more that we are unaware of is right. there is is there something you know are they were they worried about durability there wasn't really many questions about durability or injury in the pre-draft process were they more concerned were were did he lack the understanding of certain types of plays or whatever scheme they were trying to run? I think those are like nothing else ever came out, right? I kept waiting for things to come out in the pre-draft process with all yeah. the digging that, you know, uh, writers do and, and the things that come out from, un, you know, unnamed scouts and stuff like that. And nothing really ever came out about Damian Pierce explaining their choice. So maybe it was just a really poor decision by the coaching staff, or maybe they had their reasons, you know, but, but then, you know, there was a lot of people who were high on him, even though the consensus had him a little bit closer, maybe to the back end of the top 10. And then he lands here in Houston now, which I think is, it's so interesting because it's a wide open depth chart. Right. But then it's like fourth round draft capital, the unknown of why he didn't get more. I, I felt, I always felt like it was hard in my rookie drafts to know kind of where to peg him in because as we just saw with Michael Carter, you got to be careful about day three running backs, right? As much as we love them, maybe their skill on film or through a, you know, an evaluation process, NFL teams don't look at them often as guys that they won't make a decision the following year with, right? And Houston's going to have a ton of money next year. And in New York, you know, this might be the end of the run for Saquon. And I always would come back to that might be the splashy player, somebody like Saquon that Houston would throw extra money at to kind of be a face of them if they're still struggling and stuff. You know, so you never know where they may go, you know, a year from now. Have you been getting a lot of Damian Pierce in rookie drafts? And if so, how aggressive were you to, to get him? Yeah, I was lucky to do a bunch of rookie drafts in like, you know, March and April and I got okay. into the third round. But now I'm with you. It, that whole second and third round range this year in rookie drafts has been re- really difficult. I mean, and super variable. I mean, certain drafts, I mean, Brian Robinson, another guy we'll talk about here in a second. I mean, he'll go in like the early second, some drafts, but fall to the you know early third and others. Damien Pierce's ADP has been all over the place too. I'm still targeting him for what it's worth. I think it's one of those things where you just kind of like swing for the fences, especially in this draft class, especially uh, with Pierce's talent and his landing spot. But yeah, I mean, that, at the end of the day, I think in fantasy and especially in dynasty, we're always overly confident on some of these like fourth, fifth, sixth round running backs that we love the talent on. But like you said, I mean, they're, you know, for every one guy that, you know, that, there's an Alvin Kamara who pops in the third round or a Kareem Hunt who pops. who's a fifth round pick, I believe, or fourth round pick. For every Kareem Hunt and Alvin Kamara there is, I mean, there's 10 guys like Michael Carter who end up getting cucked the next year and, and we end up holding the bag. But, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, you know, Houston long term, probably, I don't know, it's, 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 we can lump Pierce in with those, those guys. But uh, for this year, the opportunity is certainly there. I mean, Marlon Mackman was a healthy scratch for all of last year and Rex Burkhead is 32. I mean, yeah. the opportunity is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I, I think Pierce and, and we'll probably talk about Tyler Algier in, in a little bit are, are two guys that, you know, who d- didn't have great draft capital, but really might get a real opportunity in year one. Before we get to those other guys that I kind of all think pigeonhole best is probably early down between the tackles type runners. Uh, where was your stance on Rashad White? We were big fans here. He was five in my pre-draft rankings. He sits four now for PPR, you know, dynasty ranks. I know some of your um, your fellow people over at Fantasy Points were high on him. Where did you kind of stand on Rashad White? Yeah, I was much lower. I took a little okay. bit of a contrarian stance on White. I had him at RB9, but I've bumped him way up since the draft, uh, just landing spot. But, uh, I, you know, White is an excellent receiver. Let's start with what he does well. I mean, he's he's a very good receiver. Um, 
just like James Cook ran 20% of his routes out wide and or from the slot, they kind of moved him all over. Arizona State, like Florida, was a weird offense last year too. But uh, he was second in this class in receptions. He was first in receiving yards gained per route run. I think yards per route run and missed tackles forced per reception. If you're going to look at two efficiency stats for receivers, especially among running backs, that's where you want to start. And White was first and second in those two stats in this kind of weaker class. But, man, I, I, I want to get your opinion on something like, I, you know, I watch every single carry. Like, I chart six, seven games of these guys. I, I try to chart about half the season. I thought White left a lot of yards on the field. Um, I think he missed wide open holes. I think he, he – I saw way too many times where he'd have a – you know, they'd, they'd run just a simple zone play. You know, you get the cutback lane, and he would miss the cutback lane. Like, why? it would be wide-ass open. And he would miss it. And, you know, that's just like little vision type things that I see from watching the all 22 um, that like just when that pops like consistently on tape, like, I don't know, man, he, he just seemed like he's got a lot of work to do to, to, to kind of suss out some of the vision stuff. Um, one thing that we know with Tom Brady, too, is if you're not a good pass protector, you're not going to play on third downs like. I think pass protection is always kind of a misnomer with some of these guys, but with, with somebody like Brady, you have to earn his trusts. And, uh, and James White, would, or excuse me, James White, Rashad White, uh, was not a very good uh, pass protector. Um, I think I think his explosiveness as a receiver will probably earn him a couple snaps, but I, I'm not seeing the, the the bull case for White that everybody else is seeing. Um what what did you like? Uh, what did you like specifically about White beyond like you know the receiving stuff? Yeah, I think I think you kind of hit it. Like I liked him because this was a class that I didn't think was very strong. I I've had him as high as I did because I thought he was a a really high end specialist in terms of his pass receiving skills, and I thought he could be a guy that in space less zone maybe more gap you know in terms of not having the you know you you really read the defenses because I think you're right there were some vision and patience and 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 run instincts that were lacking with him and the weird thing is as much as I did like him pre-draft I think people are way too high on him right now and are just pigeonholing him for a redraft I should say I still like him potentially for dynasty but I think people are just kind of like thinking he's going to step in and potentially be a high catch guy with Tom Brady year one because Brady does that sometimes but I think I think it's gonna be very slow to develop in year one and who knows Brady might only have one year left and we'll see and I also think in a weird way even though he's got a bigger body type you know in ter- compared to James Cook I think James Cook could carve out more rush attempts in his NFL career than Rashad White just because of what you were saying. See, I think he's a little bit more specialist with some space touches, even though he's got the size capability to maybe profile more as a guy who could handle more workload. I actually think if James Cook shows that he could hold up, he may end up getting more rush attempts there. So for me, it was just his his specialization as I really a high-end receiver out of the backfield who also had good speed and athleticism if you used him correctly. And I just liked that more when I was kind of ranking all these other guys, but I do, I don't see a lot of paths where he becomes the guy who morphs into a three down role. And I think some people thought that I didn't have him ranked high because I thought that I had him more high because I thought he had a really strong specialization skill. And that was better than guys who I thought were good inside the tackle runners, but they weren't special inside the tackle runners. So I've moved white up a little bit because I thought he had a special trait in his pass catching ability is where I kind of stood. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you hundred percent. And I think people need to put some respect on Leonard Fournette's name, man. Dude's turn his career around. Um, yeah. I mean, Fournette Brady loves him. Yeah. Brady loves him. He was second among all running backs, uh, qualifying running backs in EPA per carry last year. And I mean, Fournette's kind of morphed into a really good third down option too. So, I mean, I don't know. I, you know, health aside, I mean, Leonard Fournette in terms of ability and role, it's still like, you know, he's still going to the second, third round of, of best ball drafts. I mean, this, this is a first round, like caliber type player in terms of role, in terms of offense and people, because they like Rashad white um, are, are just not on board yet. I, I, I don't know. I'm still, I, I'm enjoying the anti uh, Leonard Fournette. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, once upon a time, he was worth going in the top 10. That's how talented he was coming out. And then it's not like Jacksonville is the stable franchise that like, I feel like, I feel like Fournette just kind of took the beating for what happened in Jacksonville. And like, it wasn't like, well, maybe, maybe there was more about uh, of Jacksonville than, than just Fournette. Now, listen, he had his issues, I'm sure. But it was like, I felt like he just was like pushed to the side as he's a complete boss, like. Uh, you know, like we've seen other guys. I'm, I'm thinking of the guy from Cleveland, uh, Jordan Blank, where they drafted Trent him. Richardson. Yeah, he's not Trent yeah. Richardson. I feel like when when he left Jacksonville, people wanted to immediately write him off as Trent Richardson, yeah. and he was better than Trent Richardson ever was, even in Jacksonville. And now he's really turned it around. So I, I'm right there with you. Uh, I think he's going to keep White on the sideline a lot this year. To yeah. be honest with you, as much yeah. as I do like you know White's game, maybe long term. Uh, let's stick with the other two. Uh, round three running backs first. So well, that was Brian Robinson and Ty Davis Price. Um, where do you kind of stand on them? It looks like Washington may be down on Antonio Gibson, but he still has two years left on his rookie deal at cheap. So I think that's going to be a messy backfield with McKissick coming back there. And then Ty Davis Price is, I find fascinating because I feel like he's paying for the sins of Trey Sermon that no one is, even wants to give him a little bit of, maybe he could be a decent part. We, they run the ball a lot there in San Francisco that I feel like because Trey Sermon busted so hard, it feels like people are, are hurting Ty Davis price because of that. Where do you kind of stand on those two guys? Yeah. Brian Robinson was a Jack of all trades, but master of none. Um, good inside runner, good receiver. I thought he was really strong in pass protection, but he's just, you know, he's not an exciting player. He's a guy that, you know, uh, you can give him a third, a bell cow, you know, three down roll, um, but he's probably, you know, not someone you're going to want to be your starter every single year. Um, you know, for as big and as an upright of a runner as Robinson is, I think he had a lot of burst. Um, sometimes, you know, when you see somebody like Robinson, who's six, three or six, two, uh, and, you know, they have that upright running style, they look slower, but I, I think Robinson has enough burst to, to make it work. Um, as for Gibson, man, uh, look, they just spent another top 100 pick on a running back. JD McKissick, we know what his role is going to be, man. It's, it's looking, it's looking pretty rough for, for Gibson in the streets, man. Um, and you brought up, uh, Algier, right? The other guy, Davis Price. Sorry, Davis Price. My bad. Uh, I was thinking of (laughs) the other tie. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Ty, yeah, Ty Davis Price, man, uh, good inside, a uh, good inside zone runner. Um, you could flip on one game and figure out what where he kind of wins, and it kinda, it makes sense. I mean, LSU ran a lot of zone last year. Uh, I think Ty Davis Price had some of the best footwork in this class. He just lacks burst, man. Like he just doesn't have you know a ton of juice inside five yards, ten yards. Beyond that, um, you know, I, I think. 
anybody that's holding Trey Sermon's last year uh, or his rookie season against Davis Price, it's kind of, it's kind of silly. Um, you know, they're two different situations, two different players uh, in in terms of way that the way the way the way that they win too. But um, I mean, I think Eli Mitchell's just locked into a to a really nice role. I, that's kind of where I'm at with this Niners backfield. I'm just really not overthinking it with Mitchell. Yeah, I, I think Mitchell's the guy who you know, his value seems to still be there. You know, I haven't done a ton of underdog stuff yet, but I feel like he's fallen a little bit further than than I think he should. And I think the interesting thing is, is, you know, we don't really know who's going to catch passes out of that San Francisco backfield. It's not like Ty Davis price profiles is that Trey Sermon doesn't and neither does Eli Mitchell. So it might just be somebody by default who's going to be in there. Probably the best pass protector on third downs is probably going to catch, you know, 30. Someone's going to someone's going to fall into 30 or 35 catches out of that backfield, you know, maybe by just default, especially if Lance checks down a little bit more as a rookie, you know, who maybe struggles to, to read defenses a little bit could just take off and run and maybe that, you know, prevents anyone you know, in terms of the backs from getting there. But it'd be interesting to kind of see who kind of gets some of those dump off catches, uh, you know, and, and short stuff out of the backfield. But yeah, I, I like Davis Price as a guy just to kind of take a stab on. Like we said, this class kind of falls off pretty quickly, um, you know, and I just think people are kind of just writing them off. I've heard people say he to kind of have to be the Alfred Morris for Kyle Shanahan's scheme. Yeah. Like that's that's who Ty Davis Price is going to have to be. But if he gets enough work, who knows? Like San Francisco running backs seem to get hurt every year. So oh, no. you know, if he was thrust into a role, if Eli Mitchell can't stay healthy, you know, he could be he could be fantasy viable. And we know that scheme kind of just creates you know productive fantasy success. Uh, let's keep this moving along. And go to the guys who went off the board early in day three. I'll group all three of them and kind of see if you have a favorite or maybe whether it was pre-draft and now maybe post-draft if it's changed. That's Isaiah Spiller to the Chargers, uh, Zamir White to the you know Las Vegas, and then even though he went round five, I'll bring him up because we kind of mentioned him before, Tyler Algier to Atlanta. Uh, how do you kind of – did you have a clear favorite of that trio pre-draft and yeah. did things change now post-draft? Yeah, I had an Algier, Spiller, and then White. Um, okay. Algier to me is this kind of the same way um, as Ty Davis Price. You could flip on one game, flip on that Utah game last year, and you'll figure out exactly the type of player he is. Um, I, you know, he is one of those guys. I think you mentioned earlier, man. I think he's just a two. You know, he's a two down banger. Um, he's not explosive, not super elusive, but he can run through contact. Um, he's going to get what's blocked. And, you know, I think in this, this Falcon scheme, man, they're going to be a lot more run heavy than people want them to be. Marcus Mariota, Desmond Ritter. I mean, both those guys are, are move quarterbacks that you're going to try to, you know, uh, install some zone read RPO stuff with. I think Algier is a perfect fit for kind of a zone read type scheme like that, where he's just going to get downhill quick. Um, that being said, I think Algier's ceiling is just really naturally capped because he's not a great pass catcher. We know Cordero Patterson is going to catch a bunch of balls there too, especially this year. Um, but Algiers, the the top for me there. Uh, then Spiller, uh, Isaiah Spiller was, I think, you know, in this amongst this class, especially amongst the backdrop of this class, he really fell as the process went on for me. Uh, uh, he averaged just 3.6 yards created per attempt. That's third percentile all time in my database. He was also third worst in this class and missed tackles forced per carry. You know, a lot of people said he was elusive. I, I didn't see that at all. Uh, he also tested very poorly at the combine. Um, he didn't run, but then he ran a 4.63 at his pro day, which is more like a 4.7 if you adjust for pro day times. 
I, Spiller, man, just is another one of those day three Chargers running backs. They take them every year. I mean, the Chargers yeah. do this every year where they take a day three back. We all want them to be good, and they never are. <laughs> uh, Spiller is right there in that group with me. And then, then Zamir White, man, uh, poor guy. I mean, he popped two ACLs early in his college career. I Watching the film last year, it just seemed clear to me he has, like, almost no bursts left. Like, maybe an offseason in an NFL training camp where he's, like, kind of, you know, maybe – changing his training, whatever, he can kind of regain some of that. But birth, you know, the burst was just not there. White was basically a pile mover uh, last year at Georgia. He has the worst yards created per attempt in my database all time. He was also second worst in this class in this tackles force per carry. Um, yeah, I, I just, I'm not seeing it with Zamir White uh, at all, especially on this depth chart too. I mean, he's going to open up the year as the clear three behind Jacobs and Drake, uh, maybe Drake's ankle injury is is worse than than we think, and White can kind of usurp him in training camp. But um, I think Jacobs is the clear early down runner for the Raiders this year. Yeah, I think Zamir White. For people who are fans of him, I think you're hoping that Jacobs they didn't pick up the option. He moves on next year, and maybe the Josh McDaniels, obviously coming from New England, maybe they view down the line Zamir White as either a Damian Harris from Andre Stevenson type. Those guys that were more athletic, though, I think, in terms of their bursts and stuff, as you were talking about. Right. Uh, and then the, the interesting thing about Spiller, and you kind of said it, is because he was kind of been like a Debbie darling for years and was pushed up in the, the, the kind of the perspective of what was out there on draft Twitter. I feel like people are way more excited about it. I'd say a spiller than those, that usual running back that the chargers draft every year. I mean, I saw, I say spiller getting drafted over round two wide receivers and rookie drafts. And it was just yeah. like blowing my mind. Yeah. And I think it was squarely on because he's been a guy who people thought maybe would be around one, but he never really profiled that way. He's not a great pass catcher. He doesn't have great bursts. He doesn't have great speed. Uh, you know, he kind of went where he probably should have went as, as, as a day three running back. So I think people are getting overly excited about Isaiah Spiller. Uh, and, and I feel like they probably are going to be let down similar to uh, past Charger running backs that we sort of go on day three. Graham, two final questions before I open it up to anybody that maybe surprised you in your metric system. What's your take on Pierre Strong? New England seems to have a really messy backfield currently, but did you like Strong when you pre-draft and where you kind of stand on him right now? Yeah, the overwhelming majority of Strong's big gains were because he ran through some of the biggest holes I've <laughs> ever seen in my life, man. I mean, obviously, level of competition is a big thing in the Missouri Valley, but uh, I mean, South Dakota State just opened up some huge holes for him. I thought Strong was very, very stiff. Uh, I thought he had very poor play strength, too, especially for a back of his size. Uh, I mean, he went down in first contact way more often than he should have. Um, he had the worst uh, missed tackle grade in this class on a per carry basis. You know, that, that Patriots backfield is always one to, you know, just throw darts on, um, especially if you're doing like some super deep, like NFFC best ball drafts this year. Uh, I've been throwing some darts on him and Kevin Harris super late just because this Patriots backfield is always fun. But uh, yeah, man, I, I didn't think Pierre Strong had like anything in his, uh, his yards creative profile that really made me want to invest super heavily. Yeah, I mean, he's, he definitely surprised with his athletic profile. I don't think I was seeing that. But, again, I think that kind of pushed him up a little bit in the perspective, you know, of draft Twitter and draft community. But I, I think he went 
where he should have. Like he was never a day two type guy. He was he should have been day three. Uh, I think he profiles probably as like a part of a committee down the line. I think yeah. that's how New England probably sees him. Uh, so be you know, and that's pretty crowded there right now. Things could open up in a year if, if Damian Harris moves on or James White can't get back from his injury. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see. So to round it out, last question tonight. I'll, I'll kind of throw out a handful of names. Pick out maybe two or so, or if there's a third one that might have intrigued you a little bit more, or maybe there's really nobody that stood out, but maybe there's, there's somebody here, whether it's Hassan Haskins, Keontae Ingram, Jerome Ford, Kyron Williams, Ty Chandler, Snoop Connor, Tyler Beatty, Isaiah Pacheco. Any two names from that list that maybe either intrigued you pre-draft or post-draft uh, from your evals? Yeah, Tyler Beatty was a guy that I went back and charted like the week after the draft. And, you know, given this Ravens backfield, you know, Dobbins coming off a popped ACL and potentially more knee damage. Edwards coming off a popped ACL. By the way, I haven't seen anything on Gus Edwards. In no, his, nothing. Like, radio silence. I mean, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's been radio silence. Like, it's it's kind of bizarre. Like, I've no, no one knows where he's at. Uh, Tyler Beatty is really interesting, man. He, you know, he's a little more of a pass catcher um, option in Missouri, but he was a bell cow, like full on bell cow in the SEC for two years. Um, you know, nothing special as a runner, but he was a professional runner. Uh, good footwork, good vision. Um, I think there's some opportunity for him there. I, I liked Keontae Ingram a little bit too. He was one of those guys I rewatched and recharted uh, after the draft, or not recharted, but charted after the draft. Um, the thing is, man, you know, this, they, they brought in Dur- uh, Darrell Williams, Cliff Kingsbury has been talking up, you know, Benjamin, that's probably just coach speak. Uh, but Keontae Ingram was a little bit interesting as the transfer, obviously he transferred to get away from Bijan Robinson only had the one year at USC. Uh, but he, he's a little interesting. Um, this class, man, is just after the top four or five, I mean, you're really kind of, it, it's kind of throwing darts a little bit. Um, what, what were your thoughts on Hassan Haskins? Because he's one guy that, like, he, he's kind of just like Tyler Algier. You put him one game and you know exactly what kind of player he is. But obviously, um, you know, this Titans backfield after Henry is, is pretty much wide open. Yeah, I, I wasn't a big Haskins fan. Honestly, I had right. him probably down like 20. I, I thought he right. was an early down type grinder. I thought he had an upright running style, really opened himself up. Uh, I, yeah. I think I don't think there's a but I don't think there's a huge difference between him and some of the other guys we talked about who were those early down type runners. You know, so I think he makes sense as a Derrick Henry backup. You know, they they got the most out of Dante Foreman last year, you know, when he had to step up. I think Hassan Haskins could play that role. I think Snoop Connor can play that role. I think Avery yeah. Smith could have played that role, right? I think they're all very similar players. Uh Beatty's the one that I will say with you that he was number eight for me. You know, so I like Beatty nice. pre-draft and you know. As much as I liked Rashad White, if you would have told me Rashad White's going to go in the third round, I would never have guessed that Tyler Beatty then goes in the sixth round. To me, there's not a three-round gap between those players, you know, from when I watched him pre-draft. Now, maybe it was just because White had more size to him and people thought there was more there, but... Beatty showed in the SEC last year that he could really hold up. Prior to that, he was more of just a part-time bit player, space player, pass catcher. But, you know, Beatty's really interesting. We know six-round, you know, a lot's got to break right for a six-round guy to kind of make it, and especially make it fantasy-wise. You know, so we'll see. But I do am intrigued with that talent. And like you said, who knows about the guys in the in the Ravens' backfield right now? You know, they went out. I think they got Mike Davis. I, I think he's there now. This is a veteran there. You know, yeah. we don't know about Gus Edwards. J.K. Dobbins is still some uncertainty. You know, if Tyler Beatty was ever given an opportunity in there, 
he'd be intriguing. So he's a guy that, you know, I, I don't think he, I think he was a little bit of a steal. I don't, I don't, I didn't see him as a sixth round guy. I had him higher rated than Pierre Strong pre-draft. You know, again, I don't think there should have been two round separation between those guys. Uh, so he's an interesting name for sure. We'll see if he gets an opportunity there in Baltimore, if anything breaks uh, due to injuries where he can maybe materialize. So there it is, guys. Graham, thank you so much for hopping on tonight. Uh, always appreciate talking to you and picking your brain on the running back class. Uh, I'm sure most of my audience follows you, but please uh, let them know where they can follow you, what you're working on over at Fantasy Points, if anything you want to push. I, I've gone on record. I, I said it when Joe was on that you guys are one of my favorite resources out there. You're a must-purchase. Everyone should be going out and getting the premium subscription over there at Fantasy Points because the content you guys provide is great. So if there's anything specific you're working on over there and you want to share, please do. Hey, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate the kind words. And seriously, uh, I always enjoy coming on and talk to you. Uh, Every single year, but yeah, um, man, we are going crazy with content. Um, <laughs> it's it's that time of year. We've got a ton of best ball stuff up. I've been uh, working on best ball tiers. Uh, my stat pack series is wrapping up here, where I'm going like around uh, every division and, and writing up every division from you know s- some deep numbers angles. Um, man, we've got college football product now. Our guy Wes Huber uh, is is crushing it in the college football streets. Uh, we've got divisional previews up for college football, so I'm sure you know some of your listeners out there. If you guys are are looking for for another place to get some good college football content beyond your podcast, uh, check out check out our site um, for some college football stuff. We're going to do a bunch of like DFS prop bets this year. So if you're if you're heavy into the betting streets in college football, I know every state's a little weird with some of their college betting. Like out here in Colorado, like I can bet on anything except for college football props, but I can bet on prize pick props. It makes <laughs> with me I, I don't really get it but i'm gonna be betting heavily in the college football streets and just telling wes and our team um this year on, on some of their stuff uh we've got a pga product now man like it's 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 getting crazy uh <laughs> but but uh, we're having a good time and um yeah if you if you do want to subscribe to fantasypoints.com you can use code 22 barfield 10 save yourself 10 percent on any package save yourself a couple bucks there but uh yeah man this is uh this is a lot of fun appreciate you Absolutely, guys. Make sure you're using that code. Make sure you're getting over to Fantasy Points, uh, checking out all the great work he mentioned, Wes Huber. We had Wes on pre-draft and hoping that during the college football season, definitely can get Wes back on uh, as somebody to pick his brain during the college football season as he is following that uh, 24-7, 365 for sure. Paul, he is one of the sickest dudes I have (laughs) ever. The dude has like 150 Debbie College quarterbacks ranked. I, I, I can't even, I, I don't, I like, he's going down this deep ass list of 150. I don't even know how he can rank 150 guys. It's unbelievable. No, I, I ranked, I, I just started working on the next wave of notebooks that we put out here on Saturday, Sunday, always around Labor Day. And then we just kind of work on them throughout yeah. the whole year, right up uh, through the draft, you know, and, and I find like 15 to 20 college guys. And then like, <laughs> you know, and then for the Debbie ranks, maybe we, we kind of stretch it out to like 30 you know, yeah. uh, you know, to, to include some of the top underclassmen. So I can't even imagine going 150 deep there. Uh, that's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, he, he is. He's a special guy. Man. Special. <laughs> uh, great stuff. Guys, on behalf of Graham, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>